0: Today we're going to start a new teaching series which is going to run for a month called Imagine. Uh, I've nicked the, the name from the, the title of our Elim Leaders Conference a few weeks ago. But it's a slightly different kind of look at it really. Because I want us to think about the power of imagination. And um, if I can introduce these two characters to you, uh, Mickey and Minnie and Disney World. Anyone been to Disney World. Okay, few I haven't well I've been to Euro Disney, I suppose that counts, doesn't it? But on October the first, nineteen seventy-one, five years after the great Walt Disney passed away, Disney World had its grand opening. During the dedication ceremony, someone turned to Mrs. Walt Disney and said, Isn't it a shame that Walt isn't here to see it, that he didn't live to see it. Mrs. Disney immediately replied, He did see it, that's why it's here. Because he had incredible vision and incredible imagination. And actually Walt Disney himself said this. He said this, Laughter is timeless. Imagination has no age. And dreams are forever. The great scientist Einstein said, Imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited. Imagination encircles the world. Muhammad Ali said, The man who has no imagination has no wings. And the dictionary defines imagination as to form a mental picture or idea of something. To believe that something is probably true. And you know, but here's the truth, okay? And let me give you a bit of biology at the moment. When you look at the think about the human brain, the human brain is basically left-sided and right-sided, okay? And the truth is that the older you get, your brain function moves from the right side, which is the creative, imaginative side, and it moves more across to the left side, which is the more logical and fact side. It just happens as you get older. So what happens is that then we tend to live more out of our history than out of our imagination. We're less focused on creating the future. We're more focused on trying to repeat the past. And I think that's sad because I think God is a God of imagination. Wouldn't you agree? And as God's a God of imagination, as we get older, yes, there's some biology that will happen. But spiritually, we should be people who keep living out of our imagination, not just living out of our past And because God is a God of imagination, I believe that God imagines a group of people that can actually do and be something. And what we want to look at in our first week is this. We want to imagine a group of people who could actually change the world. Could we imagine a group of people who could actually change the world? And maybe, maybe we imagine it's these guys that we can imagine could actually change the world. And I want to make a comment here about our political leaders. And these guys are, you know, they're putting themselves up into a very, very difficult situation. But the reality is these folks who are asking for your vote, okay, they are not going to change the world. And I'll explain that why, okay? Now, I'm not, I'm not being critical of them. I'll explain that why in a moment. They're not going to change the world because what they can do is they can change laws and they can change policies and they can do stuff which is all important and all really good. But ultimately, that isn't going to change the human heart. And what's going to change the world is when the human heart is changed. So, so we need to remember this week that important though they are, and we're going to pray for them, okay, and we're going to do that on Tuesday, important though they are, they're not going to actually change the world. And all these guys are encouraging us over the next few days to imagine what the country could be like if we voted for them. And they're all encouraging us to believe that if they were elected, that they can actually deliver on what they promised and change the world. Now, let me say a few things about voting. We live in a democracy So you don't have to vote. That's part of being in a democracy. But here's where I want to say something. I think you should vote. And the reasons why I think you should vote, and I want to give you a few. Voting recognises that we submit to a political system in our nation which is established by God. Voting recognises the equality of all people and their right to be heard. Voting is one way we can speak into what is happening around us. Voting is also a way in which we show that we care about other people and what might be happening to them. Voting is a privilege and voting is a responsibility. And not everybody in the world has it. So I want to encourage you this week on Thursday to vote. Who are you are going to vote for? That's totally up to you. All right. It's totally up to you. But I really want to encourage us to vote. The Bible says that as well as taking our responsibility by being involved in our community, we must pray for whoever's in office. So whether you like who's in office on Friday or not, whether you voted for them or not, the Bible is clear. We must pray for those in leadership over us. Let me tell you this. It's an incredibly difficult job what these guys are doing. And I want to say a few things about how we handle this over the next few weeks and I want to say this pastorally as someone who loves you guys okay this is not judgmental this is not meant to be critical but obviously with social media we can now see what everybody thinks and feels all of the time and the danger with that as I've been watching I was off social media for the two weeks holiday that was away when I came back and went on to it I thought oh my goodness I think I'll get off it again because to be honest with you, I was a little bit overwhelmed and saddened by the negativity and cynicism from Christians as well as from others about other people who are political leaders. Whether you believe in their policies or not, can I encourage us to speak better of human beings than we're doing at the moment? You know, you have every right to have your say in your view. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you do not have the right to express it however you want. You don't have that right. If you're, now listen, this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, say whatever you like, okay? But if you are, you do not have the right to say it however you want to say it. The Bible says we should guard our tongue. So, so in social media terms, that simply means pause before you post. You know, pause before you post. Ask yourself a question. Is this edifying? Is this encouraging? Is this true? Is this helpful? How would Jesus feel about or about reading this post that I'm about to put on social media? You know, I want to say, let's resist some of the stuff that I'm hearing at the moment. They're all this. Do you know what I mean? This is both sides of the argument as well. Everyone in this party is this, and they're all this. There's no brains in that party. There's no heart in that party. There's nothing. I'll tell you what, I think that breaks God's heart. I think a lot of people, the vast majority of people who go into public service like this are well-intentioned human beings, in my opinion. And yes, they're not perfect, but i tell you what, if any of us could do what they do, we should go do it. We should go do it. It's an incredibly difficult job. I just want to say, let's be different to that. Amen? Anyone with me on that? Let's be different to that. Let's speak more positively. Let, let's not just say, oh, you're a liar and you're this and you're that and you're the other. And we see that on social media, and I think that breaks God's heart. But back to God. God does have in his imagination the, an idea of a group of people that could actually change the world. And I'll ask the band if they could come back up right now. Because actually, this is the day in the church calendar that we celebrate the day when this group of people hit the world stage. This is the day that we call Pentecost. This is the day when a group of people came onto the world stage that were always in God's imagination, the group of people that could actually change the world. And that's not politicians as important as they are. It's actually the church. Amen? Listen, guys. Last week, last Sunday, I was in Jamaica for a two-week holiday with my wife, okay, which I know is great and fantastic. And we met this couple uh, in the hotel, who a Jamaican couple, and they go to a New Testament church, black church uh, as it is, in London. And they were retired and they were, about to, they were about to try and buy a house in Jamaica. And we became friendly with these guys. And I said to them last week, are you going to church? And they said, yeah, we're going to the church that, that she said that I grew up in. So I said, could we come with you? So we went to their church last week. So while you were here for your 75-minute service, we went for a service. We left after three and a half hours. <laughs> and the preacher was still going strong. We were the only white people in the building, and I'll talk about that later. But we had an amazing time. So I'm used to that now for this last week. And whenever you said anything, you got, 10, you got 300 glory hallelujahs back, okay? So let's just see if we can go for it a little bit more. So in God's imagination, there's a group of people that can change the world, and it's called the church. And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the book of Acts as we begin to open up this theme of imagining a group of people. Every week it's going to say, imagine a group of people who, this week we're going to look at it by opening up this idea. Imagine a group of people who could actually change the world. And that group of people we read about in Acts chapter 2. And it says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Uh, And many of you know this very well, okay? This is what we call the day of Pentecost. And what happened after that was that they, they were so filled with the Spirit of God that they went out onto the streets and they were speaking. And The Bible says they were speaking in tongues which is, in other words, in, in a heavenly language, it was a language that they didn't know. But other people knew those languages because they were from those parts of the world. And they were so amazed at that, that they, they, asked, they, they thought first that these guys are drunk because it was nine o'clock in the morning, okay? And they thought they were drunk, um, but they weren't drunk. And then Peter got up and, and he preached a message and he said, basically, this is what you did to Jesus. And this is what God did with Jesus. You killed him. He was buried and dead. But three days later, he rose again. And they were, the Bible says they were cut to the heart with the message. What they'd done to God, what they'd done to Jesus, they were cut to the heart. And what happened that day was 3,000 people became followers of Jesus and the church had a pretty good opening day. Wouldn't you say? That's not a bad launch day, is it? Okay, that's not a bad launch day. And that's how the church began. That's how the church was birthed. But, but I want to look at it slightly differently because there is not a group of people harder to imagine changing the world than this group of people. When you think about a group of people who could actually change the world, if you were to imagine it, you might imagine uh, the Avengers kind of set. Okay, the whole Marvel thing, you know, we've got to have a, like a superheroes. These were not superheroes. These were ordinary, unschooled people. They were, they were followers of Jesus who who had who who deserted him who had failed him, who had let him down, they were kind of felt worthless, they were fearful, they were timid. You couldn't imagine them changing their clothes, let alone changing the world at this point. But when the Holy Spirit invaded them, they were changed and they became a group of people who actually went out and changed the world. And what's amazing is, is that the church in God's imagination is a church that changes the world. Now there's something in, in understanding the Bible called the law of first mention. Which is any time you hear something mentioned for the first time is the most accurate representation of that thought or idea. And the first time the word church is mentioned in the Bible is in the book of Matthew 16 verse 18 when Jesus says, And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. This is the first time the word church is mentioned. Now, Now this is why it's so important guys. The word that Jesus uses for the word church is an Aramaic word called ecclesia. But that word was translated into a German word called kirsch, which is about a place where people go to worship. But what Jesus meant in his mind wasn't a place where people go to worship. It was a community of people called out into a purpose. And yes, they would gather to worship, but ultimately they weren't there just to worship. They were there to change the world. And that word is mentioned 114 times in the New Testament. And when Jesus mentions it here, it's the first time the word church is mentioned. And the word um, ecclesia, called that assembly, is not a new word. It's a, they understood it in Greek culture. They understood it in Roman culture. And in Jewish culture, they had assemblies of people. But Jesus is saying, my assembly of people is unlike any other on planet Earth. You see, there's loads of different groups of people. You can be part of lots of different things. We all want to be part of something and belong, don't we? You know, how many friends have you got on Facebook? You know, I belonged, I've got so many friends that you actually. Do you know? I recognize, I know this. Some of my friends on Facebook, I don't even know who they are. I don't. And if I met him, I wouldn't know who they are. That's because I travel a lot and all that kind of thing. You have some like that as well, probably. You would walk past them in the street, you wouldn't even know who they are. Okay? And we all want to belong. And you can be a supporter of a football team, and that's an assembly. You can go to a gym, and that can be an assembly. Jesus is saying, my assembly is unlike any other on planet Earth. Because my assembly is going to be a group of people who actually change the world. Can I get an amen at least? That's amazing. And this is the group of people that Jesus, that God had in his mind. And this is declared, that verse is declared that where Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church. In Caesarea Philippi, which was the center of the worship of the goat God Pan. It was the center of hedonism and superstition and all kinds of weird stuff. And Jesus takes these young uh, Jewish boys 26 miles away from their home. So that in the middle of this context, he can say, and in this place, I'm going to build my church. In this ungodly world, in this crazy, chaotic, uns- you know, kind of messed up world, I'm going to build a group of people who are going to love me, who are going to love God, and who are actually going to change the world for God. And I still believe that. Hello? I still believe that. After doing this for 25 years or whatever it is that I've been doing, I still believe it. Some days I get up and, and, and I don't think I believe it. Do you know what I mean? And I look at some stuff and things. But I actually, in the core of my being, still believe that God's plan A for the planet is the church. He sent Jesus. Jesus was the body of Christ. Jesus was the body of God on the earth. But when Jesus left, he left his spirit into another body. And the Bible says, and Jesus said himself, who will do even greater things than me. That's amazing. And when you look at history, you see the Romans, even Roman historians, when they looked at the early church, they said things like this. They said, look at how these Christians love one another. Women flocked to the early church in their droves because they saw a group of people that lifted up women, not pushed them down, that everything else did in this culture. That's what they believed about the church. And then when you look through history, look at art, look at literature, look at music, look at health, look at education, look at welfare, look at laws. If you took the church out, you wouldn't have a lot left. Because when you look historically at what the church has done on planet Earth, it's amazing. Now, let me say this. The church has also done some pretty shocking things on planet Earth as well. And I understand that. And I know that. And I get that. And that's part of the fact that we're fallen and that we're human beings and that things get twisted and manipulated. But when you look at the big scheme of things across the planet and across history, the, the, this group of people that you couldn't imagine changing the world actually did, actually did and still are. And it's true today. Do you know over half parent and toddler places in this country are run by the church. We have the biggest network of debt counselors of any other organization in the country. We feed as a church over a 100,000 hungry people every single year. If you took the church out of our society, you would know it. You would know it. And this, this, this group of people actually went on to change the world. And there are two major factors In a, in a group of people that change the world, and I believe they're this, the dynamic power of God and the relentless devotion of people. I think those two factors, if you boil it all down, those are the two factors that will cause a group of people to actually change the world. It's not all about God and it's not all about us. But it is all about God and it is all about us. It's about both those things together. So I want to look first at the dynamic power of God and I want to look at this in a macro kind of way. You see, it was the Spirit of God that birthed the early church. You know, I'm talking mostly to Christians this morning. If you're not a Christian, okay, and you, you, have, you might have all kinds of ideas about what church is, and in many senses, we don't do ourselves or God a lot of favours because we've given you the wrong idea of what church is about. I hope that you're here this morning a little bit more of the real idea of what church is all about, and I hope you'll see it and experience it here. But you know, 2,000 years of church history... Many, many world leaders have tried to stamp out the church. Right from the beginning, all the Roman emperors, Nero, Domitian, Trajan, Marcus Aurelius, Valerian, blamed the church for all the empire's woes. A guy called Diocletian prohibited all worship and burned all Christian literature. That's just in the, in the first couple of centuries. What about the 20th century? What about Ceausescu in Romania? What about Hodja in Albania? A couple of weeks' time, Simon is going to take a team out to Albania. And we work with a church there on the, on the, on the coast, the Adriatic coast. And I've been there many times. And, you know, we, we go and, and we'll sit in a cafe on the coast there. And Simon and the guys will do that. And just on that hill there, on that cliff, in the late 60s, it was where they took the Christian pastors and they put them in big balls of steel with spikes in and they rolled them down the hill into the sea. And he tried to stamp out all faith, all religion, all spirituality. But Hodge has gone and the church hasn't. And what about Mao in China? And what about Stalin in Russia? And while we were away on holiday on the CNN News, I saw this. Anyone know who that is? Huh? Vladimir Putin in Moscow. What's he doing? He is kissing. Uh, uh, the relic of a hip bone of what they believe to be St. Nicholas. Now, I'm not saying that that's a good thing to do, all right? What I am saying is, as I watched on CNN News, hundreds and thousands of Russians coming and queuing up to look at the relic, the bone of an... I thought, don't you tell me that spirituality is dead. Don't you tell me that after 70 years of communism, trying to stamp out religion, Karl Marx that called religion the opiate of the masses, don't tell me after all this kind of time that actually deep inside of the human being is a desire for God. Because it is. And I want to say that when you look at history and when you look at the church, you can see the group of people that actually changed the world. How can you explain that outside of the dynamic move of God? How can you explain that? How can you explain that in China, soon in China, there will be more believers in China than any other nation on the planet? How do you explain that when you look at what ch- the Chinese communism did under Mao? There are 2.4 billion believers today. 2.4 billion. The kingdom of God has never, ever been as big as it is today. Today, 85 to 100,000 people will become Christians across the world. OK, two of you were mildly excited. <laughs> two of you went, ooh. If I'd have said that last week in that church in Jamaica, do you know when when they got me to get up and say something at that church in Jamaica last week? All right. I've never had so many glory hallelujahs. And all I said was, it's my first time in Jamaica. And honestly, you'd have thought it was revival. Yes, glory hallelujah. Today, 85 to 100,000 people are going to become Christians. Come on. That's amazing. How do you explain that? Countries with the fastest rates of conversion in the world today are countries like Nepal, Iran, China. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? You can only explain it because of the supernatural dynamic power of God at work. The church is not man's idea, it's God's. When Jesus said, I will build my church, I, in other words, I'll start it, will, prophecy, I'm going to do it, build, I'm going to do it, my, it's my church. I will build my church. Not you. I will build it. It's the dynamic power of God. You can only explain the church because of the supernatural dynamic power of God. And I know that in Europe, it's not a great scene at the moment. I know that. But there are parts of the world, if you look at the macro picture, where the move of God is so incredible. There are parts of those islands like in Samoa, in other places where the move of God is so amazing that the crime rate is dropping down. You know, that, that, that they're seeing incredible things happen. They're seeing people come to faith in incredible numbers, incredible ways, because of the dynamic power of God. But there is another dynamic that has to be at work for this group to change the world, and it's the relentless devotion of people. Three of the most powerful words, I think, or the most powerful phrase in the whole of the New Testament is in Acts 2, verse 42, and we're going to read it now, where it says this. They devoted themselves. Stop there. They devoted themselves. Nobody did it for them. God didn't make them devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added their number daily, those who were being saved. And when you read that, and we've read that as a church many, many times over the years. When you read that, that little snapshot of the early church, what you see is to see a group of people who are filled with the dynamic power of God, but who are relentlessly devoted to their values relentlessly devoted to their values. And and, and what we as a church here at Life Centre have done is we've pulled out four values... Now, there are lots of things that are important, but these four big values are really important to us. And I want to very briefly just highlight them to you. And we'll open this up more at the Connect Meal for newer people. But I think it's not just new people that need to hear this. We all need to be reminded about our values, because that's where we drift, is with our values. And we kind of put them together as a little acrostic, which we call Marge, but, so that you can remember it. So basically, it's missional, authentic, relational, and generous. When we look at the early church, we see a church that's missional, authentic, relational, and generous. Missional for us. You know, let let me just say this. The Bible, in the Bible, the church, this is so important, was a defined, purposeful gathering of people who knew they were coming together to be a church. There were defined entry and exit points, clear theological guidelines, navigating corporate and community waters, the responsibility of stewarding the sacraments, specifically named leadership positions and a singular mission. There's lots of people these days who say, oh, we don't need church because we do this and we meet in this place and we do this and we do that. Great. They're all expressions. They're not necessarily the church. It's only the church if those things that I've just read out are present. Clear entry and exit points, theological stuff, sacraments, leadership positions and a singular mission. So important. And the church's mission given by Jesus is basically this, to reach out to a fallen world and to call it back to God. Amen? To reach out to a fallen world and to call it back to God. And for us, that looks like three kind of things, really. We want to see people into a relationship with Jesus. We want to see people saved. But we also want to serve the poor because that's part of the mission as well. And we also need to struggle against powers and principalities and things that are unjust and unjust. And that three aspect is that's all about calling people back into a relationship with God. You see, uh, theologian Jürgen Moltmann, he said it like this. The church does not have a mission, rather the mission has us. The church does not have a mission, rather the mission has us. You see, the mission of Christ creates the church. To engage the mission is to engage his church and the two are inextricably linked. I used to work for other Christian organisations called parachurch organisations and I respect that and honour that and we support that and that's great and they have a great part and role to play. But please don't ever be led into the thinking that that's replaced the church because it hasn't. Because the church is God's plan A and it's only because the church has not been the church that God imagines that we've needed to have a lot of these other things to help and to serve and to operate as they have operated. We don't have a mission, the mission has us. And so for us here at Life Central, what that looks like is this. We we believe that we want to live lives that impact and influence our world with the love of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to see people come into relationship with Jesus. But we want to see the poor serve. And we want to struggle against those powers and principalities and things that are unjust and unjust as well. We believe that the gospel is good news, don't we? We still do. We still do. And we want to pray for our politicians, but they cannot change the human heart. Only God can do that you know our world is changing in so many ways but in other ways it's not changing at all and and I think I listened to a guy recently at our Elim Leadership Conference that really challenged us on this whole idea about not being led by what the media says you know and and I was going to share a little bit about this but obviously this was before Manchester and before London but you know but what he brought out really was that even though it's so horrendous what we see many of us remember what it was like in the 70s and the 80s don't we when the IRA was at its peak, and we remember the devastation, remember the fear. But you see, what was different then to now wasn't the level of terrorism. What was different then was the level of exposure. We weren't watching things played out on our phone in real time. We were waiting till the BBC did an investigation and then told us what happened. Whereas now you see, and what it gives you the impression is that everything is so horrendous. And we think about world wars, and we think about the the world at war. Uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses knocked on our door this week. that They wish they hadn't, but they did. Bless them. No, sorry. I was very nice and very gracious to them, but I don't think they'll be coming back. Because their opening line was, what do you think about the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Woo, that's a great opening line, isn't it? Don't try that in your evangelism, okay? Anyway, but but they were basically saying it's so bad, there's all these wars. And I said, name me two countries that are at war with each other. Name me two. Can you name me two? Not civil war, but two countries that actually are at war with each other. We can't do it. And what we think when we see the media is that everyone's in war. And there's a lot of terrible things happening in the world. I'm not saying that there isn't. But what I'm saying is the media tells us something. It's because we kind of want to hear it. And the way that, I'm not blaming the media, the way we receive news through the media now is shaping what we believe about the world. And if you go along that line, the media tells you that the whole world is getting more and more secular and more and more atheistic. But actually research suggests that 1.8% of the world are actually self-declared atheists. That's like if you said to Coke, two out of every hundred people prefer Pepsi to Coke, they'd rip your arms off for that, wouldn't they? Because that's the reality, that less than 2% of the people are actually atheists. People have this deep idea of spirituality and this openness. And we have to understand that into that context, that God has a mission. And that mission has a church. And that's us. And we want to become missional people. That isn't people going on mission, that's missional people. That For us, that's everyone, everywhere, every day. Guys, you are missionaries tomorrow, amen? You are missionaries tomorrow when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to college, because you're helping to call people back into a relationship with God. We want to be missional. Secondly, authentic, living lives of reality before God and one another. For us, that means we talk about real things, we talk about real issues. We don't pretend we've got it all together. You never hear any of us from, on the stage that, that say we've got it all together. You often hear the opposite because that's more the truth. So we want to be authentic. Thirdly, we want to be relational, living lives that are connected and collaborative. We believe life is lived better in, in, in circles rather than rows. So we seek to do all that we can through team and through one another. We think that's important. We fight for unity and for oneness at all times. And can I just say to some of you guys and any of you listening on the podcast, I'm aware as I've got back uh, from being away that, you know, there's, there's, there's always some unsettlement around in churches. You know, we, we, we're in our third building uh, in, in 18 months you know, uh, the sound isn't quite right for some people and the, the view isn't quite right for some. And I'm aware of all that. But can I just say, can I call you back to your values? Okay, we fight for oneness and unity, don't we? And the mission is more important than our preference, isn't it? And lost people who don't give a rip about the music are more important than our own thoughts and our own preferences. We do all we can to help each other through it. But we call ourselves and each other back to our values. Amen. And so we're relational. And, uh, and, and finally, we want to be generous, living lives that reflect the generosity of God. We seek to be sacrificial with our time, our talents, and our treasures. Let me read this to you. This is my favorite quote. Um, I can't say it any better than this, around money, okay? I'm going say one thing about money. Can I just say before I said this, it's so funny. Being in a different church, it's a church in Jamaica, okay? Great church, great people. I, I, I think I don't know if I've said this at the first service or not, you know, but... Uh, The kids came at 10 o'clock for Sunday school. At 11 o'clock, everyone else started to wander in. At 2.30, we were still going. The preacher was still flying. The kids had been there four and a half hours. We'd been there three and a half hours. They were still going for it. And the kids and the young people were in all the way through the service. But when they came up to do the offering, the fella said, I want four people to give me $5,000, which in Jamaican dollars term is only 30 quid, all right? And he waited till they came. And then he said, I want 60 people to give me $1,000, I thought, oh my gosh. So all of a sudden, you're in a very different cultural situation in your approach and attitude to money. And I sat there feeling really uncomfortable, thinking, this isn't going to fly. I'm not going to try this one, you know what I mean. But actually, it made me realize that that's my cultural approach to money. And actually, your approach to money will largely determine what you value. Listen to this. How we use our money demonstrates the reality of our love for God. In some ways, it proves our love more conclusively than depth of knowledge, length of prayers, or prominence of service. These things can be feigned, but the use of our possessions shows us up for what we actually are. A guy called Charles Ray wrote that. And I want, I want to encourage you. If you're a Christian this morning, does the use of your possessions show you up for what you actually are? Because we want to be generous people. That means generous with our money, but it also means generous with our time and generous with our hearts. One of the things that so impacted me last week at this church in Jamaica, and I'm going to speak about this in a couple of weeks' time, was this. That we walked into that church, we were the only white people in the building. And I sat there for three and a half hours and I started to think, how do other people feel who come into our church or another church? who maybe they're the only person or who go into a room where they're the only person and they look around and they say, nobody else is like me. And can I just say, if you are not from a white British context and culture, we are so glad that you guys are here. And if we've ever, ever alienated you or given you the idea or the impression that you are not welcome, we please want to ask for your forgiveness because that is so far from the truth. The day after the Brexit vote, I was chatting to a, an Eastern European uh, girl that I'm getting to know in the town in one of the shops. And I said, how do you feel? She says, well, now I guess I'm just an immigrant. And I stopped and says, Kelly, you are not an immigrant. You are really welcome here. You may be an immigrant, but you are. And that's not who you are. You are a human being and you are really welcome here in this context and in this culture. And I just say that if you are from another context and another culture, you are so welcome here. We are so glad that you're here. Because what you do is that you actually... What you do is you actually add richness into our lives that we wouldn't have if you weren't here. Well, we want to be generous, don't we? We want to be a people who are generous, not just with our money, but with our heart and with our space. You know, if you only ever hang about with people just like you, you're going to become so boring. But actually, if you can extend that circle to include other people who are not like you, then you become part of the group that could actually change the world. That's the group I think God imagines. I want to ask the band if they'll come back. Who wants to be part of a group that could actually change the world? I do. You know, if you want to do that, there's two things I want to say. You have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. They devoted themselves. You have a choice whether you stay on the periphery or whether you just attend or whether you really devote yourself and you really step in. And you say, you know, I want to become missional. I want to be authentic. I want to be relational. I want to be generous. You have a choice to make. Are you going to devote yourself? And secondly, you have a promise to receive. And that's the promise of the Holy Spirit. Why don't we stand together? Why don't we stand? And just as we finish on this day of Pentecost, I want us just to really respond to the Lord. If you can start, guys, please. I want us to, to respond to the Lord. And, um, and just right where we are, just to say, Holy Spirit... Would you come again? Would you come again into my life? Would you fill me again? Would you break out from my life? Would you break the walls down? You know, we all build walls, don't we? Walls between ourselves and God, walls between us and other people. Would you break those walls down? We have a choice. We're going to devote ourselves, but we have a promise to receive. The Bible says in the book of Joel, in those days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, young men and old men, young women and old women, and that happened on the day of Pentecost. And it happens every single day since that the Holy Spirit comes. So Father, we just thank you that there is a group of people that you imagine, that you dreamt about, who could actually change the world. And God, we thank you that because of Jesus, we are now part of that group. God, let us live up to the calling that we've received, I pray. Let us be the people that you imagined that you have imagined before the foundation of the world. And I pray that today that we would become a people who choose to devote ourselves to you and to the values that we have. And God, may we be a people who receive daily that promise of the filling and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And God, if there are walls that we've erected, that we've built between us and you and us and other people, God, let those walls come down because that's what's going to ultimately change the world. Isn't that great policies? or our great sound bites, or our great anything else. It's going to be when we love other people as you've loved us. When we call people back to a relationship with you. So Holy Spirit, would you come, I pray, on this day, Pentecost Day, when we join with millions, millions, maybe billions of other people across the planet who are celebrating the day when this group of people began, the day the church started. God, may we know that we're part of something bigger than we could ever imagine and something that will go on for eternity. So Spirit, would you break out? Break these walls down, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.